You are listening to the Discovery City Church Sermon Podcast. To learn more about us, including our location and service times, please visit us at discoverycitychurch.com. We hope this sermon will encourage and build your faith as you pursue God, community, and influence within your world. Now, the message from our lead pastor, Caleb York. So, my sophomore year, my junior year of college, I had a requirement for Bible college to do an internship at a church. And so I was actually, at the time, me and Amanda were married. We were married the summer before finishing our sophomore year. We had just finished one year of marriage. And uh, and so I, I began to search for a church where I could do this internship and we could both go. And the opportunity opened up at actually Amanda's home church in the small town of Knox, Indiana, Bible Baptist Church, Knox, Indiana. And so I called them up and said, hey, would you be willing to take me on as an intern? And they said, yeah, sure, not a problem. And I was so excited because I had such a passion at that time to go work with teenagers. Man, I wanted to be a youth pastor. I wanted to get out of Bible college. I was tired of all this learning and some of that. I'm more of a hands-on type person. I learned from experience, not from being told, which really is not that great in the long run. But at the same time, that's just who I am. And so they said, yeah, I'd love for you to come and be our intern. And so we moved there. Actually, her parents lived in that town, so we were able to move in with them for the summer. And I was so excited. I began to work with the teenagers and and hang out with them and build relationships. And we were doing some really awesome stuff that summer. And I finally got an opportunity to speak to the teenagers. They had a, a, a volunteer youth pastor, and he did an awesome, awesome job. And he had one Sunday towards the end of the summer. He said, Caleb, why don't you speak to the students? And I thought, yes, I'm ready for this. And I got my message prepared. I got it all together. I mean, I was like, man, this is going to be an awesome, awesome message. I was so pumped. I was so excited. And I went in there and I spoke to those students and I just could tell God was moving in the room. I mean, the students were really just, I mean, they were drawn in. They were listening. Towards the end, we had like an invitation time. We had a couple students make some decisions for Christ. I mean, we were so excited. And so at the end, I walked out of this little room. We had packed all these teenagers in this tiny little room. It was a small church. And I walked out of that room, and I had one of the older leaders of the youth ministry walk up to me, one of the older adults. And they walked to me, and I thought they were going to just tell me how God had just really spoken to them uh, through the message or something like that. And so I, I, I'm like, here it comes. And that adult walked up to me and said, hey, I just want to let you know, when you speak, you shouldn't say the word crap. Okay. <laughs> I, I didn't even know how to respond to that. I was just like, all right, thank you. <laughs> and then they walked off. And you know what that taught me? It taught me that in our world today, we have a church culture in many churches that don't like to talk about messy things. They don't like to talk about messy things. They don't like to talk about subjects that really some people can look at and say, you know, that's not very nice. In fact, we have many Christians today in our church culture, in our world today, that guess what? They're all about making an appearance. It's not about coming to church and having God change your life. It's about, hey, I showed up and I was here and I made my appearance. Now God bless me because I showed up. That's all they're focused on. That's their mindset. That's the culture in our churches today. Can I tell you, that wasn't the culture of the early church. It wasn't just, hey, I made my appearance, God. Now I get my, you know, give me my credits. Put credit where it's due. I showed up. 
In the early church, they were there to celebrate Jesus. They were there to have community and connect with each other. And guess what was involved? Grace was involved with their relationships. And they came because they wanted to be challenged by God. Man, they didn't come to make an appearance, but no one's interested in any of those things today. They're interested in coming to church and making an appearance. And I'll take it a step further. They'll come in, and I even thought about it this morning. I thought, man, I'm going to come in with like my Sunday best on. I'm going to get my suit and tie on and come in here because that's what they like to do, many. They come into church, and they've got their Sunday best on, and they look really good on the inside, or they look really good on the outside, but it didn't matter who they were having sex with throughout the week. It didn't matter who they lied to. It didn't matter who they cheated. It didn't matter who they stole from. As long as they suited up on Sunday, they were good with Jesus. That's the culture that we live in. That's the church culture that we have in so many churches today. And can I tell you this? It hasn't helped the last 50 years. It hasn't done a lick for Jesus. All it's taught us is instead of facing what we're going through, instead of facing what we're really struggling with, what we do is the church has pressured people to look perfect. I'm just perfect. Everything's perfect. Everything is hunky-dory. Nothing ever goes wrong. Even to the point where a lot of Christians have learned that when everything's not perfect, fake it. When things aren't working the way you think they should, you just fake it. Fake it till you make it. We got too many Christians that are just like, you know, I'm, I'm, I just want to show up to church. I just want to make my appearance. Man, I just want to, I just want to show up and act like everything is perfect in my life. I just want to show up and I don't really want a message that applies to my life. No, 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 because I got to get back out there. I got to get back out to what I'm doing. I got to get back to, out to, to what I want to do. That's the mentality of a lot of Christians today. I want to tell you the church culture for a long time, people have had the wrong concept of church. This idea of once you become a Christian, that all of a sudden you become perfect and you never have another issue. You never have any more problems. And to do like a little example right here, let's just imagine this side of the room is people who have not accepted Christ. This is people who have never been saved. They've never followed Jesus. And then on this side, we have the Christians. We have people who have made a decision for Christ. And there's so many misconceptions about the church that people who are in this side of the room, guess what? They are saved and they have no issues and everything is perfect. That only happens when you don't know Jesus. It's a misconception. Because the truth is we see a lot of Christians when they go from this side of the room to the other, when they begin to follow Jesus, when they make a decision to follow Christ, God forgives the punishment of sin. But many people, they drag the presence of sin with them right over to the other side. And even though they're saved from the, from the penalty of sin, even though someday they're going to be in heaven and they're going to be with him, guess what? That presence of sin is still there because they take it along with them right onto the other side. We have people that grow up in the church world with this false view that when you're a Christian, everything's going to work out. Life's not messy. There's no more issues. And that's why today, here in our church, here at Discovery City Church, we're not going to be like that. We're going to talk about things that can be messy. 
We're going to talk about issues that we're really going through. We're not going to come in here and put on a front and put on a face and act like everything is hunky-dory and everything's just working out and everything's just great because many times it's not. That's why today we're going to talk about the topic of depression. Depression is something that a lot of churches, that's too ugly, that's too messy. We don't want to talk about that. I've heard too many, too many pastors that said, if you're a Christian, you should not struggle with depression. Depression should not be a part of your life. Can I tell you that statement right there? I've heard so many pastors say it. It's so far from the truth. It's not true. We know a lot of Christians that have struggled with depression. And so this morning to begin, before we dive in back into the story of Daniel where we began last week, I want to look at four men. Four people in the Bible that were heroes of the Bible. Four people who were heroes that we look up to today in our faith. The first one is Moses. Moses who, who uh, parted the Red Sea. Moses who delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt and out of slavery to freedom. I mean, dude, he is a huge hero of the faith. We see Elijah, who by himself went up against false prophets and even prayed and called down fire from heaven and smoked those other prophets. Killed them right on the spot, defeated them. We see Jonah. We see Jonah, who at first ran from God, but then ultimately, guess what? He, he ended up in a large fish and then eventually listened to God. And he goes to Nineveh and he preaches to the city and the city is turned upside down because of it. A huge, huge hero of the faith, Jonah. And then we see Paul, who we've talked so much about in the New Testament. Man, what a huge, huge impact. But I want to look at some quotes this morning before we dive into this discussion of depression. Look at some quotes, words from their own mouths and see something that we really need to catch this morning. Look at Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11 verse 14 is where we're going to begin this morning. Numbers eleven fourteen says this, I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. You know who says this right here? Moses. Moses said this phrase right here. These are his words. Does that sound like a guy who's dealing with depression? I can't take this anymore. If this is how it's going to be, just put me out of my misery. Even Moses said that. Elijah, who called fire from heaven, goes against the false prophets and wins. Man, can you imagine after that? He was on top of the world. He was like, dude, I, man, God is on my side. And we see as his story progresses, a woman named Queen Jezebel says, you know what? I want him dead. And she begins to chase him down and he runs for his life. Look what he says in 1 Kings 19, verse 3. says this, Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And I don't know what that tree would look like. Just brooms hanging out of, I don't understand a broom tree, but it's some form of tree. And he asked that he might die saying, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life. Lord, put me out of my misery, please. I can't take this anymore. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been there before. So depressed that you're kind of like, what's the point of even living? 
We would never admit that at church. No, we would never bring that up. We got to put on a smile. But we see right here that in church, so many people act like it's a place where there's no problems. And to be honest, you're here this morning and you've been there before. You've been there before. Jonah, who's swallowed by a huge fish. We always hear the story, Jonah and the whale. We actually, the Bible says it's a huge fish. I don't know what kind of fish, but it's a huge fish. He's in the, the belly of a huge fish, and finally it spews him out onto the land after he gets, he does some thinking. And he heads to Nineveh, and he turns that city upside down. But afterwards, he falls in depression. If we look at Jonah in chapter 4, verse 3, says this, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Can we agree on something? These guys are in heaven today. Can we agree on that? They're in heaven. These men did amazing things for God. God used them. Yet, through all of that, they dealt with depression. They dealt with depression. Paul, speaking to the church in Corinth, we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, says this, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. Now maybe you're here this morning and you've said that false verse before. You know, God will never give me more than I can handle. He'll never give me more than I can handle. That's a false verse. That's not a real verse. Did you know that? The verse is, God will not tempt me more than I can bear. Oh, God loves to give you more than you can handle. He loves to give you more than you can handle. You want to know why? Because it forces you to turn to him. It forces you to look to him. Look at the rest of the verse that we see Paul right here. Paul's like, at this point, I don't have any strength to continue. And then he says this, that we despaired of life itself. We've got four of the godliest men right here, and they're battling depression, every single one of them. They had issues. Things were going on in their life. God was doing amazing things in their lives, and they still had issues. And they still struggle with depression. Guys, we got to get past this point where we think just being a Christian that we don't have issues, that we don't struggle with things. Many times we drag our old sin presence from our unsaved life into our life with Christ. And that has become who we are. Today, I want to break that down a little bit. And really see what God's word says about that. And see through the story of Daniel what we can learn about this idea of depression, this this issue of depression. Like I said, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Last week, just to give you a a preface right here, Daniel, we saw Daniel chapter 1. Daniel dealt with this crazy circumstance. And we... We said we, what we learned from it is this idea of changing our focus from our circumstance, changing our focus from what is going on in our life, our, the situation that is overcoming us, and placing that focus on Christ. The reason why? Because God is greater, and because God is able. Super simple, but very powerful. Very powerful thoughts right there. But today... We get to meet King Nebuchadnezzar. We talked about him last week, but today we actually get to meet him. King Nebuchadnezzar, a very insecure king. And can I tell you this? He was insecure for a reason. 
In those days, there was no voting. They didn't vote for a king. You, you were reigned in as the king. You, you inherited the kingdom is what it was. And so if the kingdom didn't like you, they couldn't vote you out of office. There was no impeachment process. They just killed you. <laughs> That's all they did. They didn't like you as king. They would assassinate you. They would kill you. And so guess what? It made him a very paranoid king. Extremely paranoid. He didn't trust anybody. And we see in this story right here that we're about to read that King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He has a dream. And in those days, a dream had great meaning. Because in those days, God spoke to people through dreams. Today, if you have a dream and you're wondering what the meaning is, let me help you with that. Find out what you ate the night before. Because it's caused that dream. A lot of people, they get offended by that. I want you to understand something. I want to be very clear on this. God used dreams and miracles in those days because people did not have a completed version of the Bible. That's how God spoke to them. That's how God delivered messages to them. He would do dreams. He would do miracles. And that's how he moved through people. But today, guess what? We've got everything that we need. God has given us everything, our purpose for life. He's given us uh, uh, what to do and how to do it. He's given us everything we need right here. But dreams were how he spoke to people back then because they didn't have what we have today. But we see right here, God speaks through a dream to King Nebuchadnezzar. He speaks to him. And we see that King Nebuchadnezzar is so insecure. When he wakes up, he's frustrated by this dream because he doesn't know what it means. And so what does he do? He gathers all of his astrologers. He, he gathers all of his wise men. They're called the Chaldeans. He gathers them all together and he begins to tell them. And because, like I said, because he's insecure, remember that. Because he's insecure, what does he do? He says, guys, I've got, I want two things from you. You're my wise men. I want two things from you. Number one, I want you to tell me what my dream was. Tell me what my dream was. And then number two, tell me what it means. And they're like, tell you what your dream was? Like, we can't tell you what your dream was. It's your dream. Like, are we supposed to imagine this? Are we supposed to make this up? Like, what are we supposed to do? They're like, man, you know, King, just tell us your dream and we'll tell you what it means. But he didn't trust anybody. So he said, no, no, you got to tell me what my dream was. He's so paranoid. He's so insecure. He doesn't trust anybody. And notice their response. We see the Chaldeans talk back to the king in Daniel chapter 2, verse 10. Daniel chapter 2, verse 10 says this. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asked is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods. And I love this last part right here because it has some huge foreshadowing right here. Are you ready for this? Whose dwelling is not with flesh. They're like the only person who could really interpret this dream and even tell us what the dream is about or tell you what the dream is about is God himself. And he's not in the flesh. He's not like a man just walking around. Foreshadowing, Jesus comes. God in the flesh, 100% man, 100% God walks on this earth. I love that foreshadowing right there. It keeps going to verse 12. Because of this 
The king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Now to recap on last week's story, we saw Daniel. Daniel is taken as a captive from his home, Israel. He is taken from there. They changed his name. They changed his clothes. They changed his food. And we saw last week that Daniel said, I'm not going to eat your food. I'm not going to eat your food because your food is dedicated to your gods. And if I eat that food, that's just as bad as me, as bad as me saying, you know what? I worship your gods. So I'm not going to do it. And we see God do some amazing things through that step of faith with Daniel. But we see through that process of him saying, I'm only going to worship the one true God. God bless them and he promotes them. And I'm sure at that point, Daniel was like, whoo, that was a close one. Like I could have got killed right there. Me and my buddies, we would have got slaughtered right there. But because we stood up for our convictions, because we stood up for what was right in God's eyes, man, he took care of us. And they're like, man, I'm feeling really good. Like they were probably on cloud nine. They were like, not only did we not get killed, we got jobs. We got promoted. We're gaining prominence and wealth here. And as they're hanging out in their house, talking about how great things have turned out and probably praising God's name, all of a sudden there's a knock on the door. And they answer and these guys are like, hey, we're coming to kill you. (laughs) We're coming to kill you. Could you imagine what's going through these guys' minds right here? They find find themselves in an overwhelming situation that would cause fear in any of us. I don't know about you guys, but I haven't gone through that recently. No one's knocked on my door and said, hey, we're here to kill you. Anybody have that? No? Me neither. Doesn't happen. So how can we relate to this? Maybe for you, you're here this morning. And you're going through something. And maybe it's finally come to the close. It's finally come to an end. You're like, man, I finally made it through this. And you thought it was done and you thought it was over. And then all of a sudden, here comes something else. It's like being kicked while you're down. Like you didn't even get a chance to pick yourself up. You didn't even get a chance to stand back up again. And you're already getting hit again. Daniel knows exactly what this feels like. He knows exactly what it feels like. He went through times of depression. I know so many pastors of very successful churches, successful churches that struggle with depression. They struggle with depression. Many who've even told their story said that they consider taking their own lives. These are not pastors of struggling churches. These pastors went home and had food on the table. They had money in the bank. They had a a team of people surrounding them. They had all these things. They were successful, but still this, this struggle was going on inside them of depression. And we saw recently in the news of a pastor in Southern California who was open about his struggle with depression, eventually committing suicide. Depression's a real thing. It's a real thing that we're struggling with. And you can't tell me this morning that when you're standing on this side of the cross and everything, you're a Christian, everything's good, that you're not going to struggle with depression. It's just not true. Everything doesn't work out. Life all of a sudden isn't messy anymore. It's not true. We still have issues. We still struggle with things. And maybe you're in this room today 
and you're struggling with depression. You're struggling with depression in your life. Can I tell you this? It doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It doesn't mean that you're not a follower of Christ. Can I tell you this morning, I've had times in my life where I've struggled with depression. I've had times in my ministry where I struggle with depression. Can I tell you honestly, this, just in this past year, this has been one of the most amazing adventures God has taken me on. I've never imagined God would use me in any fashion of church planning or pastoring like this ever. But God has taken these steps and God has moved me to where he wants me to be. And it's been some of the greatest highs, but at the same time, some of the greatest lows I've ever been through. And so this morning, to do something just a little bit different, I want to share with you a couple reasons why um, I would go through depression. I want to share with you a couple of things that I would go through depression, and maybe it's going to hit home with you, maybe it's not. But I just wanted to share these with you and go through them real quick. Uh, first thing I write down in your service guides is this, unrealistic pace. I tell you, a reason why many times I go through depression in my life, my own life, is because I'm going on an unrealistic pace. We're moving too fast. Things are going on. Many of us, uh, you know, I, I always think about a car. You know, you, I, I love driving vehicles. I love working on vehicles. I've worked on vehicles for a very, very long time, even through uh, my youth. I worked on vehicles. And so I've always enjoyed driving cars. I've always enjoyed driving cars safely, but at a nice speed at the same time. But we all know how cars are. You know, you can drive fast for a period of time. You can drive those RPMs and watch that needle go up into the red and really hit some high speeds. But if you keep doing that, if you keep driving that needle into the red and staying in the red, you're going to have multiple things go wrong with that engine. You're going to see it either overheat. You're going to see it blow a head gasket. You're going to see something break down because it can't take that high of strain on the engine for so long. And I thought, man, how, how is that so much like in our own lives where we're going so fast that we're living in the red constantly? We never stop and take a break. We never stop and rest. We're constantly living in the red. I mean, we are running around like our hair is on fire constantly. We're going and we're going and we're going. And if you haven't gone through depression yet, it's really not a, an if when you're living on a realistic pace. It's a when. When are you going to go through depression? Because when you're living life at a breakneck speed, Depression is just right around the corner. It's just right around the corner. It reminds me a little bit of uh, family videos that we have from, from my childhood. Uh, I've got three brothers, and uh, for many years in our younger years, our dad would take us camping to Colorado every single summer. Man, we would load up early in the morning, kiss mama goodbye. I mean, this is back before Lizzie was even around. Lizzie wasn't even born yet. We were loading up early in the morning. And dude, we were so excited. We were just little boys. I got two older brothers, one younger brother. And we would get in our big Econoline conversion Ford van. And we would start heading to Colorado. And I remember about the time, the first couple years, my dad, my dad was always the big filmer of the family. He had the big over-the-shoulder you know, VCR or VHS tape recorder. And dude, he's loaded up with tapes. And he walked around with like this most of the time. It was amazing. After he took it out, he couldn't put his arm down. He was just holding it like this. 
but he would record these little trips to Colorado. And about the time my oldest brother got to about 12, 13, my dad started saying, AJ, why don't you start filming so I can be in the videos and, and have a little freedom? And AJ was like, yeah, I will definitely do that. And so the first year he started doing that was the first year that you could start really getting sick watching the videos because he would literally be like, he would just be like whipping around. I mean, imagine a 12, 13-year-old boy with a video camera whipping around and he's just kind of holding it and, and shaking. And Hey, Dad, what's going on? Hey, guys, what are you doing? That was him. But I remember one of the greatest videos that we always love to go back to is when we're driving down the highway to Colorado and we've actually crossed over the state line and you begin to see the scenery out there. And AJ, not knowing, just being a kid, he would take the camera and he'd film out the side of the van. And what happens when you, when you look out the side of the van? Everything is just whipping by. I mean, you can't really see anything. And he's like, wow, that's so cool. I mean, he's just like speeding by and you're trying not to, okay, stay still, AJ. You're trying to watch these videos later. But then eventually he would look out the front windshield and you would see the Colorado mountains, the snow caps, and it's just slowly just moving towards you at such a slow pace. I mean, we would sit there and watch it for an hour or two as we were driving closer to it. And he would sit there and film that thing. And that would be like, the view was beautiful. The view was amazing. He looked out the side window. You couldn't see nothing. It was just a blur. And I imagine sometimes in our own lives, when we're moving at an unrealistic pace, that we can't really stop and see what God has done. We can't stop and see and appreciate what God has made. And when we get to a point like that, where we're moving that fast. You better count on it. Depression's going to set in because you're moving at an unrealistic pace. It's not realistic. You can't do it. It's not possible. And you're putting yourself in danger. My question for you this morning is this. What do you do for fun? When do you rest? When do you do these things? Because depression comes when you're moving at an unrealistic pace. Second thing, second reason why many times I go through depression in my own life is this unrealistic expectation of others. Unrealistic expectation of others. Can I tell you this? Depressed people are usually mad at other people. <laughs> They're usually mad at other people. When we get in this state, it seems like everything wrong in our life is someone else's fault. Someone else caused this. It's someone else who's making my life miserable. This right here is when spouses turn on each other. Well, if only you would have done this more, if only you would say this more, if only you would do this more, then my life would be better. Everything would be better. We blame other people around us. We put expectations on them that they can't possibly live up to. They can't possibly keep up with. You try to blame the world, like the world, it's the world's fault. It's like that song the great poet John Mayer wrote. It's not really a great poet. Waiting on the world to change. So many people. Can I tell you this? If you're just sitting around waiting for the world to change, nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to change. If you're sitting around waiting for the world to change, your situation's not going to get better. Catchy tune, terrible message. You guys got that? Don't listen to that song. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's catchy tune. But for many of us who are going through depression, if you're sitting around saying, you know what? When the people at work change, 
When my family changes, when my spouse changes, then life is going to get better. And you know what? When you have that mindset, you're setting yourself up for depression. You are. You're putting yourself in a place for depression. Another thing is this. Third thing, unrealistic view of life. Unrealistic view of life. People are starting to get into the election funk. Coming up on 2020, the, the election funk begins to set into people. And I see so many people, even on social media, where every four years they put all their hopes for the future on this one person. And the truth is, there's no person out there that can bear the weight or expectation that you're putting on them. There's no one. There's no one like that. But yet we see people do this every four years. Men, when they go through a midlife crisis, you know what that is? It's men taking their eyes off of Jesus and they're placing it onto something else. They're placing it onto some thing. And really what's happening is they get into a point in their life where they're like, you know what? I, I, I should be here. I should have this. This is what I should be doing. Well, they're putting an unexpected, unrealistic view on their life. It's just as bad with pastors. Can I, have you ever heard of pastor envy? Where pastors begin to look at other churches and other ministries and think, man, if I just had that building, then I could do some really cool things for God. If I just had those resources, woo, what I could do. But I don't. And all I do is they sit there and envy all other ministries and envy what God is doing somewhere else. Man, if only we didn't have to set up in a school. If only we didn't have to do set up and tear down every Sunday. Oh, man, the things we could do for God. You know, it's just as bad for pastors as it is anybody else. Just as bad. You know, it's easy to set, set up life with this unrealistic view of life. And when you do, it's not long. You'll slip in depression. And then the fourth thing, the fourth reason why I find in myself that I go through depression is this, an unrealistic desire to be liked by everybody. An unrealistic desire to be liked by everyone. Now some of you, listen, this might be difficult for you to hear, but I got to tell you, there are people in this world that hate me. I know, I know. I heard the gasps. I, I, can't, I couldn't believe it myself. I like to think I'm a great guy. I like to think that I'm likable and people can like me. But at the same time, there are people who hate me. And can I tell you this? I hate to be hated. It's a problem in me. I hate to be hated. But can I tell you some truthful things about myself? I've done some things I'm not proud of before in the past. I've said things that I wish I could take back. I, Caleb, was on my way to hell. I separated from God until Jesus stepped in, until I met him. And he changed my life, and he made a way. He saved me. He changed me. He made me brand new. You know, the Bible says that, you know, there's, he gives us new mercies every single morning. And, I, man, I am so grateful for that because I need him every single day. Because every single day I fail. Every single day I fall apart. Every single day I need to, I, I mess up and I've got to put my hope in him. 
And this morning as a pastor of Discovery City Church, if you're putting your hope in me, I hope you're not. If you're putting your expectations on me, can I promise you, you will fail. You will fail. You'll get depressed. You'll get disappointed. Because we need to put our eyes on Jesus. We need to put our hope in him. We can't put it on a man. We can't put it on a president. We can't put it on anything in our life. And you know what? We can't put it on relationships because there's just going to be some people that are not going to like us. Trust me, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're doing what he's called you to do, there are going to be people that don't like you. They're not going to like what you're doing. So easy to slip into depression because we have an unrealistic desire to be liked by everybody. What do we do when, de- when depression comes? When it comes to depression, what do we do about it? Can I tell you this? All of us are made up of a combination of two, th- two things. What's happened to us? Maybe like an abuse, a hurt in the past, a wound. Can I tell you this message this morning is not to tell you to get over it. That's not what we're talking about. But we're made up of something that's happened to us in the past. And then number two, we're made up of choices that we've made. Those combinations, right? That combination right there makes up our lives. That's who we are. And so this morning, what I want to tell you is this. Every one of us, you know, we've made bad choices. But in order to overcome depression, the choices that we make from here on out, the choices that we make from this point forward are going to be huge. And it's so very important. And I want you to catch this because one of those choices that you're going to have to make is this. Stop being a victim. Stop being a victim. You know, we have an unrealistic expectation of so many things. We live an unrealistic life and we've got to stop walking around being a victim because as soon as we identify as a depressed person, guess what? That's how we will be identified for the rest of our life. That is what will define us. I'm a depressed person. What did I tell you last week? I said, you know what? You may be struggling with depression, but do not label yourself as a depressed person. You're a child of the king. If you've accepted Jesus Christ, you're a follower of his. And if we're a follower of his, if we're a child of the king, instead of, uh, 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 instead of just going with this and letting it define us, we need to take it head on. And so I want to dive into Daniel's story shortly, real quickly, and then we're going to finish. We're going to find out through the life of Daniel how to deal with depression. We see number one for Daniel, denial doesn't help. Denial doesn't help, it only hurts. Denial doesn't help. It only hurts. Can I tell you this? I struggle with denial when it comes to my tire pressure. I really do. I struggle with that. I remember one time we went and visited family over in Canton. We drove from Pittsburgh over and we were there just kind of celebrating Christmas. I think it was after Christmas, just celebrating with some of my wife's family. And so we got there and I remember my brother-in-law came out and greeted us. And as he was walking past my van, he was like, dude, I think you're tired. Something wrong with your tire? Tires love? Nah, nah, it's fine. Nah, it's fine. It's supposed to be like that. I, I was like, I, I started to like go down all my things. Like, you know, most people, they over air their tires and they do. That's actually a very common thing. They over air their tires and that's bad for the tires. So I like to keep mine a little lower and stuff like that. And he was like, okay. It's probably, I think actually your, your driveway is kind of on a hill. And so when it's on a hill, it makes it look a little bit more depressed than it actually is. And so, nah, it's fine. 
And so he was like, all right, fine, I get it. Your tire is fine. And so we go inside. We're hanging out. My in-laws show up. And my father-in-law comes inside. Hey, boys, can you guys come help me? We got a trunk load of presents. So me and my brother-in-law, we go outside, and we begin to unload presents. And as we're walking past the van, my father-in-law is like, uh, your tire is flat. <laughs> and I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, it's fine. It's fine. It's just on a hill. It's cold. And then, like, when it's cold, it begins to compress a little bit. So that he was like, he was like, no. Nah, your tire's flat. <laughs> and so they actually went and aired up my tire. Man, I was in denial. I was in denial, but I wasn't going to hear about it. You know what happened later? I went back to Pittsburgh, and my tires were getting to a point. I'm like, man, I need to rotate these tires. I took it in to get it rotated, and they said, hey, you need a new front tire. Oh, both my front tires need to be ro- No, 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 just the one. I'm like, why is that? It looks like you've been riding on a little too low, and it's just wearing inappropriate. It's wearing badly, and so you need a new tire now. Man, it it costs me more than it would have just a tire rotation if I wouldn't have lived in denial. We got to understand, denial doesn't help. It only hurts us when we wait. When we're going through depression, you know what? So many times when we're going through it, we think denying only affects us. If I, if I just deny that it's even happening in my life, it's not going to hurt anybody else. That is so not true. Because when you deny depression in your own life, it affects those around you. We see these guys knock on the door for Daniel. And Daniel wasn't in denial. He wasn't like, hey, these guys aren't going to touch me. Did you see what I just went through? Like, these guys can't do nothing to me. God is on my side. I'm untouchable. Uh, Obviously, you know, I didn't do anything wrong. They're looking for some other guys. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't go into denial. What does he say? Verse 14. He says this, And Daniel replied with uh, with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Hey, why are you guys in such a hurry? Oh, you're running around trying to kill a bunch of guys. Okay, that's, maybe that's why. Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Daniel right here is like, dude, I'm not going out like this. I wonder how many wise men they just came in and like took them and took them to prison to be executed. And Daniel's like, no, 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 I want to make a meeting with the king. What? He he needs an interpretation? I can handle that. I'm going to go meet the king. He's like, I'm going to meet this head on. I'm going straight for the king. And for you and me today, when we have issues of depression or fear, we can't escape by just running away from it. We've got to admit we have a problem. We have to admit that there is a problem in our lives. So many people don't want to admit that they are dealing with depression because of pride. It's all about pride. Well, people can't see me as weak. I can't have my family see me as weak. I can't have people look down on me. So many people, they try to avoid it. They try to talk their way through it. They try to explain it away instead of heading, facing it head on. And when you don't deal with it, when you don't deal with depression in your life, it almost always gets worse. And you place yourself in a prison, maybe spiritually, emotionally, sometimes physically. Because we're not willing to deal with depression in our lives. And 
Be careful for denial. Don't let pride take over and deny when depression is taking place in your life. You know what? We need to hit thing, we need to face things head on because when you wait, it only hurts and it doesn't just hurt you. It hurts everyone around you. Secondly, write this down. I can't do life alone. I can't do life alone. Story continues in verse 17, says this. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. I want you to catch this. One of the strongest people in the Bible comes across an overwhelming fear, an overwhelming situation, possibly death. And instead of running off by himself and say, what am I going to do? What does he do? He gathers those that are closest to him. He brings in his friends, people in his life that are close to God, and they pray over the situation. So many people, when they face struggles and circumstances, they love to run off by themselves into solitude instead of surrounding them with those that can encourage them, with those that can help them. And like I said right here, people who are close to God and then give it to God. Bring it before him. That's what Daniel and these guys do. They pray over the situation and then they begin to think out the, the situation. They begin to think out the issue. How do we work this out? And we see right here in the story, God answers. God gives Daniel this vision. He gives him exactly what's, what he needs. And we see in the story, he overcomes the problem with God's help. God does it. And this is so important right here. I want you to catch this. We need each other. We need each other. As a church, we need each other. We cannot do the Christian life alone. We were never meant to do it alone. But yet I see so many Christians that think that they can just kind of run off into their isolated corner and just kind of make kind of, you know, connection on Sunday. Like, okay, we'll see you later. See you next week. We'll see you next month, whenever. And they isolate themselves. I tell you this, Daniel understood you cannot do the Christian life alone. I ask uh, men all the time, you know, who is it that you can tell your deepest issue of your soul? Like, who do you talk to? You know what most men, how their response is? That's the squirrely stuff. What are you talking about? I don't, I'm a man. I don't have those kind of discussions with people. You know what that tells me? You don't have someone. There's no one that you talk to. There's no one that you can share with. There's no one that you can make that connection with. You have nobody. And we wonder why so many men are not in the church today. We wonder why so few men are in the church today. We wonder why, why men are under attack in our world today. Because they're off on an island by themselves. And all it comes down to is this, pride. It's pride. I don't have a problem. I can do this myself. It's pride. We're not meant to do this alone. Jesus even shows us through his own life, the son of God, the perfect man who had never done anything wrong. He didn't do life alone. 
He doesn't. We see the night before he's actually taken into prison and then to be crucified that he takes Peter and James and John and they go out together and they pray together. They spend time together. That's what the church should be about right there. That's what we should be about, a place where it's okay to not be okay. You don't have to be perfect, but guess what? We're going to love you enough to not let you stay that way. That's what the church should be about. Should be about encouraging and challenging each other because we can't do this life alone. We can't do the Christian walk alone. Discovery City Church, we're not going to be a church that condemns people. We're not here to condemn. We didn't come here to condemn people no matter how their life is. We're here to lift people up. We're here to lift each other up because we can't do life alone. And then thirdly, and we'll finish, write this down. The solution begins with addressing what is broken inside of me. The solution begins with addressing what is broken inside of me. Have you ever been in a a situation where you wanted relief? Situation where you wanted the pain to stop. You wanted it to be over. Now, let's see. Let's see who can catch this right here. How do you spell relief? R O L A. Rolades. Rolades. That's how you spell relief. You got it. Some of you are like, I didn't catch that commercial back in the days. So it's all right. But you know what? We get into situations where we just want relief. My son Jack, he, uh, this past weekend got into trouble as usual, just like his father. And, um, actually we had found out Monday morning he had homework to do. He had homework to do. Didn't tell his mama because he told mom and dad, no, I don't have any homework. What are you talking about? It's been something we're working through with him. Because he likes to not turn his homework when he does it, and then he likes to not bring his homework home when he has it. So very, very troublesome child. But we had this past weekend where he didn't tell us that he had homework, and we found out on Monday. And we were like, Jack, why didn't you tell us you had homework? Why didn't you tell us that you had something to do? We could have gotten it done on Friday and like you would have just done it and it would have been over with. And he, he, I mean, he began to kind of whine and say, I just wanted to enjoy the weekend. I just wanted some relief. I go to school all week long and I work and I work. I just want to enjoy the weekend. And we tried to teach him if you would just do it at the end of the week instead of right now. You would enjoy your weekend. Everything would still be fine. Everything would be okay. But I see a lot of Christians where they're going through a situation. They're screaming, God, just take this situation away from me. God, solve my issue. God, just remove this from my life. Take it away. And maybe you're here this morning. You're like, God, I want you just to swoop in and save me. I want you to come in and just take away this issue that I'm going through. But you know what he wants? He doesn't want to do that. He wants to walk with you through that situation. He wants to walk with you through that circumstance because he knows that the most difficult things that happen in our life are the moments when we grow the most in our faith. We got to understand One of the biggest points of depression is understanding that it starts with me. It starts inside of us. 
You know, things don't get better when we pray, God, change my family. God, change my coworkers. Change, uh, change uh, my spouse. It doesn't work like that when we just want everything else to change. The solution is changing what's broken inside of us. But when we pray, God, change me. God, change my heart. God, change my focus from these things that I'm struggling with, from these circumstances, and help me change my focus to you. God, change me. When we begin to pray like that, guess what? We begin to deal with what's broken inside of us. Can I tell you this? We don't need more hugs. We don't need more hugs. We need to ask God to change us. God, change me. We've got to understand, that's what God did for Daniel. That's what God did for Daniel. God gave Daniel a greater view of himself. And that right there, guess what? This is really applies for us today. It really applies to us. We're so busy trying to change everything else. We're too busy trying to ask God to take away the problem. And we never really realize God wants to grow us and take us somewhere we've never been before. And for that to happen, for us to understand that, for us to see that, we need them to change our hearts. Look at verse 20. It says this, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. In other words, Daniel's like, it's not us. It's not us. It's, you know, so many people are freaking out because they think things have to work out the way that their plans go. They got to work out the way their wisdom goes. They have to do things with their own hands. But it's not your wisdom. It's not your way that's going to be. It's going to be God's way. It's going to be God's wisdom, not ours. Verse 21, he changes times and seasons. And what's one of the things that we love to complain about the most but have no power over? The weather. But yet we complain about it. He has control. He changes those things. Look at this next part. He removes kings and sets up presidents. Whoa, 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 whoa. wait a second. We got people freaking out about the next election coming up. We got people saying, who's going to be the next president? I want you to understand, God's not up in heaven going, I wonder who it's going to be. Oh, no, you voted in the wrong person. I can't believe that's not the one I wanted. God's not up in heaven freaking out about the election. He's the one that puts the presidents in place. He's the one that sets the kings up, and he's the one that removes them. He chooses them. Verse 21 continues. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness. Anniversary service. We turn the lights off in here. And some of you, you were like a little iffy about it. You were like, dude, you can't just turn the lights off on me like that. That was a surprise. And then I told you there were snakes in the room. And that made you even more uncertain. Can I tell you this? God is not uncertain about any of that. He knows what's in the darkness. He knows. It continues in verse 22. And the light dwells with him to you. O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and now, and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. We see God right here. He answers their question. He answered them. He gave them what they needed. And when you become a Christian, 
We've got to understand this from this story. Not only does he save us from our sin and from hell, he saves us from ourselves. He saves me from me and he saves you from you. How? Because my issues in my past don't control me. My issues in my past don't control me. Can you say that with me this morning? My issues and my past don't control me. Come on, dig deep. Here we go. My issues and my past don't control me. You know, for all of us, our issues and our past might be different. We're going to have different stories, but some are defined by what they did. We have too many people that are defining their lives by what they did. And we've made choices that were that have defined our lives. But I want you to understand, when we're in Christ, we're a new creation. That past, those issues, they don't control you anymore unless you hook up the U-Haul and you drag them with you. If you're a new creation, you got to know that. You've got to know it. You're going to go through times where, guess what? You're going to be freaking out. There's going to be things that are going on in your life, but you've got to know that. You're a new creation. You live in freedom. When you put your faith and trust in him, guess what? Not only does it affect your own life, it affects the lives of people around you. When you put your focus on him, those people that you're trying to reach around you, those people who desperately need Christ around you, your life will have an effect on them. And what you need to know is when you drop this blaming thing, when you drop the blaming game and putting it all on everyone else, when you're freaking out over a situation, you begin to blame those around you. When you drop it and say, God, you know what? You're in control. I'm going to do things your way. I'm going to do what you say. Not only is it going to affect you, it's going to affect those around you that desperately need Christ. Daniel's story, we see it continues because he tells King Nebuchadnezzar what his dream is and the meaning behind it. And this time we see King Nebuchadnezzar lose his mind again, but in a good way. We drop down to verse 46, and then we're going to finish. It says this, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief uh, prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request to the king and appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Man, we see God blesses Daniel right here. Even after one of the most overwhelming circumstances in his life, God uses him. And today, if you feel overwhelmed, if you feel depressed, I want you to get this today. Catch this. God's not trying to punish you. He's not trying to punish you, but he's trying to prosper you. Even if it doesn't feel like it, you got to believe that. You got to know it. 
Because the same God that led Daniel and these men through depression is the same God that is faithful to you and me today. We've got to know that. We've got to understand that. Write this down lastly, and then we're going to finish. Only God can use our pain for our progress. No other person, no other organization, no thing in our world can use your pain for your progress. Only God can make that type of impact. Only God can do that. Some of you this morning, you're freaking out about your circumstances. You're freaking out about your situation. You're teetering on depression. You need to realize in Christ, when you know him, only God can use your pain for your progress. Only God can do that. This morning, what are you going through? What's causing you pain? What's causing you pain in your life? Maybe this whole time you've been looking at it the wrong way. You've been praying, God, just remove this thing. Take it away from me. I'm done with it. And you haven't realized that God is taking what's causing you pain and he's using it to bring you progress. What are you going through today? Where's your focus? Where's your focus? Are you focused, so laser focused in on that circumstance that you're missing all that God is doing? Are you moving at an unrealistic pace in your life that's only going to lead you to depression? This morning, we don't want to be a church that runs from things. We don't want to be a church that puts on a fake facade. We want to be a church that surrounds each other, encourages each other, prays for each other. We want to lift you up, not condemn you. This morning, where are you at? Where's your pain? Because if you look at it in the right eyes, if you look at it with the right focus, if you focus on him instead of your problem, he's going to use that circumstance to bring progress in your life. God, we thank you so much for how great you are. We thank you for how you speak to us. Lord, the truth is we all go through times of depression. For some of us, it's longer. For some of us, it's just a short season. But we all go through it. Lord, I pray this morning that what we've talked to would, would really challenge us to evaluate our lives. Are we living an unrealistic life? Lord, you've given us the strength. You've given us the power to face our circumstances head on, our issues, our depression. I pray if there's anyone here this morning that is struggling with depression, that pride wouldn't take over, that they wouldn't let pride get in the way so easy to think that we are something that we're not. So easy to put our attention on ourselves and say, you know what? I really am strong. The truth is we're not. We need you. We need you every single day. Lord, change us. Make us who you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you for listening to the Discovery City Church podcast. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to help us continue to help others, you can give online at discoverycitychurch.com slash give.